0: Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday. February the 16th, 2021, this is episode 53 of the show. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast. If you are an audio only listener, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, you have SoundCloud, you have in the Podcast.com, where you can find this show along with all the other shows that belong or are a part of the in the money media world. You can also find great written content over on in the moneypodcast.com from a number of contributors. If you're someone who watches along over on YouTube, all you need to do is search bar burnier show you get this episode along with the 52 prior uh, before we dive into the show sort of a, a quick what to expect from a friday feature standpoint obviously last week uh friday unfortunately the pick four that we had put together and the friday feature itself everything was canceled at oak Lawn. for those of you that for whatever reason may have missed this news uh, oak Lawn's canceled this week as well So that's one less track that we'll be looking at. And that also means that the Derby preps have been rescheduled and the other graded stakes races that were supposed to be moved to next weekend have been moved again. So that changes things up. And with no one winning the Friday feature from last week, uh, there's actually not going to be a Friday feature this week. We're going to make it, I don't know, just sort of, let's call it a, a breather. We'll give everybody a little bit of a time off. But at the same time, I do look at it and say, Going forward, it feels like it kind of has to be a multi-race sequence. Now, the Friday feature itself, the race, I'm I'm good with keeping that as is as far as the contest goes. But everyone who responded with the comments beneath the video player on YouTube really seemed to enjoy the idea of this being a more multi-race sort of sequenced idea simply because you get more ideas and thoughts out there for folks who are playing along, whether it's a pick four or pick five, or even if you're playing in a contest or you're doing something else, people seem to really enjoy more opinions. So going forward, the Friday feature will be that individual race. That'll be the contest race, but we will go over some sort of a multi-race sequence. But for this week, we'll take a little bit of a breather. Everybody's dealing with crummy weather right now. I get it. And there's just so much uncertainty toward the end of the week as well still. So we'll sit this one out. We'll come back next week. Maybe I can get, I I have somebody in mind. And if I can't get him, then I may really sort of, I may kind of go astray from what this thing has always been. And I might uh, try to grab one of the folks in the industry that can come along. But there's someone that I have in mind and we'll see, hopefully we can get them involved. For this week's show, we will talk about the two derby preps that were run this past weekend. You had the one down at the fairgrounds being the 50-point risen star, and you also had the El Camino Real Derby out at Golden Gate Fields. We'll dive into those two, assign grades to them at this point, and maybe a little bit of revisionist history now that we've had two runs in Louisiana on the road to the Kentucky Derby, maybe going back and, and reassessing what that LeCompte initially i thought it was like and maybe now in hindsight with another run under their belt down there at the fairgrounds what that looks like but kind of tying it into the risen star and before we get into the actual full full recaps of those races just we're gonna start a little bit of a rant and uh i I put out a tweet on saturday evening just it, it it blows my mind how often this sort of thing happens where you have two graded stakes races by, by all accounts, two of the races that people are most looking forward to with Oaklawn canceling. All eyes are on the stakes race out at Santa Anita and the stakes race down at the fairgrounds. The fairgrounds happens to be a qualifying race for the Kentucky Derby. And I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say people want to pay attention to it and want to watch it live. But with The Santa Anita race going off at pretty much the exact same time, horse racing fans were forced to make the decision that they have unfortunately been forced to make time and time again. Which one do you want to watch live? Which one do you want to go back and watch either on replay or later on down the road and and whatever it may be? And I recognize that this sounds like a really small problem. And it's a, it's a nice problem to have that you at least have the opportunity or the ability to go back and watch a race on tape delay for whatever reason it may be, but it shouldn't happen to begin with at this day and in this day and age with the amount of things that are out there, whether it be the television networks, whether it be the track feeds, whether it be the ADWs, whatever it may be with all of this kind of being its own little ecosystem, how is it that you have two races that arguably are the two that people have been waiting for all day and they go off at exactly the same time? That That is inexcusable, inexcusable, inexcusable. It's embarrassing and it's dumb. It needs to stop. I, I for the life of me, can't understand how this continues to be a thing. Now, the flip side is, and I do understand the business side of it. You know, there were, there were a number of people that, that, responded or reacted many people agreeing but there were some people who at least laid out either reasons why it's not that easy to accomplish or just i'll get to the other folks in a bit but i i I won't i won't name the individual but you, you may have seen it we had a nice back and forth someone who works for one of the larger companies that was involved with with these races going off together i'm not gonna name his name just because I don't know if he wants to have his name named but you can go through and find it. It was a very cordial, very good conversation and we started going back and forth a little bit with direct messages after we had our initial sort of back and forth. And the the thing that I just have a difficult time with is that the the real loser in this whole thing is the fan and the gambler. And maybe not even so much specifically the gambler, the fan. The fan is the loser in all of this and i recognize that there are people involved and parties involved that there's a great deal of animosity between one another some groups of people just don't like the others for a number of different reasons um much of it is business related but i think the thing that bothers me the most is that it's very it's very short-sighted to think that business will be better if you run on top of someone else that just doesn't who gains by that you you have a you have an industry that has had some issues for for a long time i remember when i first got into the industry people were telling me that it was a dying breed and it had been dying for the past 50 years i said well it's still here so maybe you know maybe your your statements are a little exaggerated and people continue to say that and i'm gonna say to a degree this is part of why racing can't get out of its own way because your marquee events, you you run against one another on, on, on any given Saturday. And I know it doesn't happen all the time. And heck, you could even argue that it doesn't happen terribly frequently. But if it happens frequently enough for this to be a topic of conversation, that's too much. When I have to choose between a race in Southern California who... You know, in the grand scheme of things, the race at Santa Anita was a more minor graded stake. I think it was a grade two. But the point is, there were were fillies and mares sprinting. It was a fine race. It was a full field. But I don't think you were looking at it saying, you know, superstars in here. But I shouldn't have to choose between watching that, which I wanted to watch anyway, and watching what is effectively a playoff event for the Kentucky Derby with the Risen Star down at the fairgrounds and and this isn't even necessarily meant to you know point out the the television aspect of it where you have look there are two television networks that are showcasing racing at at this point right now anywhere this past saturday there are people involved that don't love one another and the the parties involved just in general there there's been animosity in the past that's no that's no secret to anyone Who's, who's paying attention to horse racing. I'm not breaking any news there. But I, I, I don't understand. For, for, you, you basically are at all costs trying to say, screw them, we're going right now. And I get it, there's going to be some back and forth and there's going to be some instances that you just can't help but have overlap. Whether it is an issue in the paddock or there's weather or whatever it may be. We're not talking about just a $20,000 claiming event going off at the same time as a group of maiden special weight runners. We're talking about the two biggest races outside of the El Camino Real, if you want to include that front, let's say the, the, the three biggest, but the, the two races that I think people were most keen on going into the weekend. And they go off within seconds of one another, forcing the fan to have to make a decision which one am i going to watch live and again i've seen i saw some of the folks out there uh, you know uh it, it's a back in my day when when i was watching these sort of things you know we only, we were lucky if we had one graded stake on it well that's isn't that part of the problem that mentality it's not back in the day anymore it's 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 2021 you shouldn't have to be thankful that there's one graded stake on, or, or any of that kind of nonsense. You have multiple avenues and multiple options, multiple ways to watch these things, but yet there's still infighting enough to make it so that we're going to go off on top of each other. That that can't. That's not sustainable long term unless you think one or two or three of these companies, which I mean, I guess there are only hell, five or six of them to begin with. But unless you think one of them is just going to take over everything and say, okay, well now that's, to me, that feels like the only way that you're going to avoid the overlap. Unless there was a central governing body, which, you know, we've been talking about this for, for years now. This isn't new. Somebody came back to me and said, well, you know, uh, kind of piggybacking on or or a response to the tweet saying, you know, the NFL has uh, a bunch of one o'clock games go against one another. Should they be ashamed or embarrassed? And that is such a simple way of looking at it. A regular season where there are eight games at one o'clock is entirely different than what is effectively a playoff game for your championship event going off at the same time as another large event. You don't ever see during the NFL playoffs two games going off at the same time. Why is that? Because the NFL wants everyone to watch every game. You don't see Two games going off at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Two games going off at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Two going off at 1 on Sunday. Two going off at 4 on Sunday when it comes to the NFL playoffs. And I'm using the playoff analogy because that is what the Risen Star was. The Risen Star was a playoff game. If you won or in some instances, if you finished second even, you may be in the Kentucky Derby. You, you may have qualified for the Super Bowl, the championship. Whether the Derby should or shouldn't be the Super Bowl sort of comparison that we have, I don't think it should be, but the, the vast majority of people do. You shouldn't have to then sit there and say, you know, I, I want to bet this race at Santa Anita and I, I, I like a horse in here and I've been a fan of hers and, and this, that, and the other. I'll watch it later or vice versa. Ah, you know, the, the fairgrounds race, uh, I'll, I'll catch it. You shouldn't have to do that. And you also shouldn't have to have 15 screens going on if you don't want to watch these races live. That that shouldn't be a thing today. 50 years ago? Okay, cool. Things have changed in 50 years. Get with the times. This shouldn't be a problem today. Now, again, I recognize there are instances where you get, you know, horse flips over in the paddock um weather delay again you know i I keep going back to that sort of thing technical issues whether there's a electricity issue we've seen the tote malfunction in the past there are a number of things that that can lead to sort of delays and and i get it that that's unforeseen there's nothing you can do about that I, i i genuinely believe we're just at a point now though where people want to feel like you at least care even if it doesn't work beautifully Because, and I'll show you in a minute, I said, just for ha-ha's kicks and giggles, let me put together the Saturday schedule with eight tracks running and try to make it as far apart as possible so there is as little overlap as can be. And again, I I will give the the television folks, you know, in all fairness, it's not an easy thing to do. I get that. I do really do believe that. And I recognize that going through and just it, it, it it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's also not brain surgery. And who's to say when you can see something is brewing that, hey, look, the, the schedule has been great all day. We're getting closer and closer. We, we got to just kind of massage this a little bit. I'm not asking you for 20 minutes between the two of them. Can you give me five? And I know there are hard outs with the television side of things. I get it. i have working with NBC. I mean, I you have times that you need to be off. I get it. But on a just a regular Saturday, who? Why can't this be a little bit more of a proactive thing? So now again, easy for me to sit here and say you know uh, however many miles away from all the action is easy for me to sit here and say this, but I know I'm not alone based on the response and the reaction from that tweet that I put out. And this, this, the big thing is it, it's not even that I'm asking for a complete overhaul. Just act like you care. That's all. People are getting fed up with the same stuff day in, day out when it comes to racing We all love the game, but you can only kick them so many times before they say enough of this. It's not going to work. Why do I keep putting myself through this? Just show that you care a little bit and you're trying a little bit. That's all. And I think people will give you the benefit of the doubt. Random things happen. Random things happen. But if it looks like you have two major events on one day and they could potentially, within a... shred of of possibility go off at the same time hey why don't we why don't we hold one back a little bit maybe the one that's not necessarily on national television or whatever the case may be let's hold let's hold them back 10 minutes we've seen it in the past tracks will hold i'm making it up for the preakness Preakness is getting ready to go off. We are going to now, instead of have 20 minutes or 25 minutes between races, we are going to have 40 minutes between races. And I know a lot of it ties into the television coverage and why you can and can't do that sort of thing. But if you can do it then, you can sure as hell do it now. Unless it is just such a tenuous situation between multiple parties of, of folks who don't really love one another, that for the greater good, you're willing to say, screw it. We're going to just go for it. Now, we're going to take a look at my little mock-up of a Saturday afternoon. And I get it. It's far from perfect. But just hopefully this illustrates some possibility of what could be done if there was a national governing body. And I get it. Different tracks talk to each other when the TV thing is, is a reality. They try to make sure that there is no overlap. I understand that entirely. But at least if you showed the folks something along these lines from some sort of a central governing body, if you made it public, I think you would have a lot more sort of sympathy as opposed to, guys, this is really difficult. Well, I get that, but you know what? Uh, Getting hit by a bus is pretty difficult, too. Happens, but it's difficult. So... Can we? Can you at least show that you're, you're trying or at least give us the layout, the lay of the land to say, here's what we, this is what in a perfect world, the Saturday looks like. I'm going to show you what I threw together. I'm not a TV executive. I don't work for any of these companies. Just throwing it out there. Let me know what you think of it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. You can see if you're over on YouTube, this is a, a spreadsheet with across the top Eastern Standard Times for posts. And then on the left in the first column, you have the eight tracks that would be running sort of this time of year on any given Saturday. Four of them are highlighted. I consider those the four majors. I understand you could you know fold fairgrounds into that. I I, that's just the way that I went about it. And again, do with it what you will. But if, if you started at noon with Aqueduct, granted you know, that is a little bit on the early side, but we're still at a, at a time and point where daylight is, is not a, a great commodity here on the East Coast. You know, it, it still gets dark pretty early, so I don't think there would be anything wrong with maintaining that sort of noon post for aqueduct. Then at 12.05, you go to Laurel for their first. 12.10, you go to Tampa for their first. 12.15, you go to Gulfstream for their first. The reason I sort of separated it this way was to keep Aqueduct and Gulfstream as far apart as possible. And then Laurel and Tampa, look, it's five minutes for many of these five-minute increments. I realize that a lot can happen in five minutes that could potentially just land you right on top of one another. But that's part of the reason I think you or a central governing body needs to identify and say, look... These are the two tracks at this time that get the most eyeballs, the most attention. We're going to keep them as far apart as possible. And we'll deal with the other tracks that slowly come into the fold, into the mix. We'll deal with trying to keep them apart when the time presents itself or the, the situation presents itself. So we keep going through. You get into the, the 1230s, 1240s. Everything is still pretty straightforward right up until what I would say, we the beginning of introing a new group. So you bring fairgrounds in at 120 on the east, 12.20 local time. Their first post, it's five minutes after Gulfstream's third goes off. So you get all those eyeballs. Okay, Gulf is done. We've still got 15 minutes before Aqueduct goes off again. Let's pay attention to the fairgrounds. And, and this is my bigger point, and you can kind of, I'm hopeful, understand Keep them as far apart as you possibly can because that's going to entice people to continue to bet on them. And I know they're going to bet on them no matter what, but at least do everybody a solid and give them the opportunity to see as the horses load into the gate. If something weird happens, if their horse dumps the rider before they load in and you say, you know what? I don't like that. I want to cancel my bet as opposed to saying, I have to watch one of these feeds right now because there's a race going off. Meanwhile, I have no idea what the hell's happening in Maryland. It just, it, it doesn't make a great deal of sense to me, but you know, uh, it is what it is right now. Hopefully things will change. You can see we keep going through now. So there are five tracks in the fold at this point. You've got the four East Coasts and you've got the fairgrounds. Now at 155, I say, all right, let's roll in Oakland. 155 Eastern, 1255 local. We've got a scenario now, five tracks are going at one time. None of them are overlapping with one another everything is clean and understanding, five minute increments, a lot can happen. But you see that assuming things go according to plan, things look pretty good. And the good news too, that I think anyway, I I would love it to become standard operating procedure that even when there is a delay and a race doesn't go off on time, that that doesn't affect the next race. And, And I know there are other pieces that go into it. You need to have you know, the horsemen and women that are able to get horses from the barn back to the, to the track and vice versa, all that kind of stuff. But I'd like to keep it as tight as possible to the original schedule. So maybe your post, you know, your, your minutes to post between races instead of your, your 30 or or 25 or whatever it may be. If there's a little bit of a delay with one of them, you know what, maybe that next race after the delay is all incorporated. Maybe it's only 15 minutes now. So we try to keep this thing as close to the originally scheduled time as possible. So you got five track going right now. Nobody's overlapping, assuming everything goes off as planned. Things get a little bit interesting when you start to add in the West Coast races, but that doesn't come until four o'clock. So if you take a look and see all these numbers that I've got, these are what race these tracks would be on by this point. At 3.55, the fifth race at Oaklawn would go off. By this point, Fairgrounds has run six races. Uh Gulfstream's run eight, Tampa's run eight, Laurel's run eight, and Aqueduct's run eight. Now, I did all these based on 12 races, or 11 races, perhaps. I don't know. I'll look at it when we get there. But th- that other piece is, that doesn't really happen. I mean, Aqueduct very rarely is running that many races this time of year for a number of reasons, whether it's uh, just daylight or cold weather or whatever. But the the point is to make it as, as wide as, expansive as possible to show what you can and can't do with certain timing four o'clock is when things start to get a little bit a little bit dodgy just simply because now we've added in the west coast now santa anita have them kick off at four o'clock aqueducts ninth would be going off at four o'clock as well so yes you're going to get some overlap but in all likelihood the opener at santa anita is not going to be a stakes race and yes maybe you're going to want to play the pick five or, or whatever it may be but the reason I didn't move this to 405 is because in reality, Santa Anita and Laurel are owned by the same people and uh, Aqueduct and Santa Anita are not. So you're more likely to go on top of someone that you are not in the same household with. So uh, you know what? You got to make some calls. This is where that sort of difficulty lies. I I recognize that and I, I understand that. You could also flip these two if you really were so inclined to move Golden Gate to the four o'clock hour and say, you know what, early on, Golden Gate's going to handle less than Santa Anita is any day of the week. Uh, Let's flip them and move Santa to the 410 window where, yes, you're going to be on top of Tampa, but in all likelihood, you're not going to lose as much attention as you would if you're going up against Aqueduct. And the ninth race at Aqueduct on a Saturday is probably a stakes race or something along those lines. So you can massage this a little bit, but you can see now we've got, eight tracks running at the same time and it's going to be like this for about an hour roughly you keep going through the only times that you have overlaps and you try to do it strategically where you're not running the majors the air quotes major tracks against one another you're not running the aqueducts against the, the gulfs or the aqueducts against the oaklands or the gulfs against santa and again, you also have to factor in who is in business with one another. Gulfstream and San are owned by Stronic Group. Uh, Aqueduct is Naira. Laurel is Stronic. You know, Fairgrounds is Churchill Downs. So you understand who's going to play ball with who more because they're all owned by certain groups. We keep going along through this. And the only real hang up, to me anyway, is keeping these first four to five tracks away from one another. Don't let them go off on top of each other, because then if you do that, in all likelihood, based on the time and where you are in the midst of your card, you're not going to run into the stakes races from the West Coast. They're still going to be later on in the day, which then again helps the fan, the gambler, because you're going to have great racing basically from start to finish throughout the day. Because by the time these cards on the East Coast are wrapping up, you're starting to get into the meat and potatoes of the West Coast cards. So Santa Anita's second, yes, again, lines up with Aqueduct's 10th. This is probably going to be a low-level maiden claimer or something along those lines. It's 4.30 in the afternoon, and that's if they even run 10. Then at that point, if you want to take Aqueduct out of the mix, great. If not, you want to move them out to even 5 o'clock, so be it. But you you get the gist here. All I'm saying is if you ran with something like this and you published it and it came from whether it's the NTRA or some other group of uh, an entity that is going to sit there and say... All of the tracks need to submit schedules to us. We're going to devise a a sort of framework that is going to be best suited for everyone because it's not that the fan sure as hell doesn't care which one of these groups or entities attracts the most eyeballs. It's more a matter of they want to have the most options. So it's, it's not that anybody's going to be playing favoritism to one or the other. It's let's try to make it so that everybody gets their little piece Their own sort of, you know, unique time slot. So we have as little overlap as possible. And I'm sure they do things like this. But make it public. Show people like, hey, you know what? Might have a little bit of an issue here. Tampa's nightcap, the 11th race, going to go off to 10 after 5. Golden Gate's right around there as well. You know, maybe this is one of those uh, spots where you say, I'm making it up. Tampa's got a big day. So we're going to give Tampa the, the nod here. And In go, and Golden Gate, you're probably just going to have to sit back and, and and either be content going off at a similar time with one of your lower-level races, or we can, you know, massage it a little bit. Maybe you hold it off for a couple minutes, but then you run into one of your own tracks in Gulfstream. So, you know, the point is, you're probably going to run into this at some point. It's just trying to make it as as appetizing for everyone involved. But, but for goodness sake don't make it be two graded stakes races run on top of each other so when you get into positions like this where oak lawn and the fairgrounds okay these are five minutes apart oak lawn's ninth fairgrounds tenth maybe this is a stakes race for both of them and if that's the case maybe this turns into one of those where we have we already have it built in we say you know what based on the landscape we see the 605 slot is is open Oaklawn, you're probably you're both kind of in the same ish area as far as daylight is concerned uh let's move this one over to the 605 window so we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit more post time between our most recent race which would have been at 525 it's gonna go off almost 40 minutes later i get it not ideal but we want to have as close to our own unique window as possible And again, this is what someone who is just basically, their job is to look through and say, how can we make everybody as close to perfectly content as possible, as opposed to just having track saying, we're going at this time, regardless of what these other guys are doing. That doesn't seem like it's the best recipe for success, does it? Just my opinion. And you can see it carries on this way. So just a quick little mock-up. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, am I barking up the wrong tree? Is this a complete waste of time? You know, they've been things have been operating the way they have been for uh, however long horse racing has been around here in the States, hundreds of years at this point. I would just, I think the public, the fans, and the gamblers would appreciate at least showing that you're trying to play ball to make as many things available as possible without stepping on one another's toes. That's all. Because it gets discouraging, trying to watch it and sit there and say, oh, I see these horses milling around behind the gate and I see these horses are at the gate. Guess what? The minute one of them starts to load, the other one's going to load too just because we've been conditioned to expect that at this point and we shouldn't have to deal with that. I understand issues when it comes to television and things like that, but at least show that there's an effort to make the fans feel like they are cared for, which right now it doesn't feel like that's the case. Let's pivot into some recap action, shall we? We'll talk about the Risen Star and the El Camino Real Derby. They were both races that awarded qualifying points for the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday in May. We'll start off down at the fairgrounds with the Risen Star. 50 points to the winner of the 13th race at the fairgrounds last Saturday. It was the Grade 2 Risen Star at 9 furlongs. You know, there's a part of me going into the race that really thought, despite the fact that he lost in the LeCompte, or he didn't get the job done, I thought they were just going to absolutely pound Mandaloon again. I thought he was going to be in that 7-5, to 8-5 to five range. He went off a 2-1, to one, which, and I made it pretty clear when we went over the LeCompte a few weeks back on this show, that I didn't love, not even that he didn't win, but that he couldn't out-finish Proxy to finish second. That, to me, was a little bit of a red flag. It looked like he got a little bit goofy there at the end. He hung. So Brad Cox decides to put blinkers on. And from all things that I've read, it's a very, very small little blinker. But boy, did it look like it made the difference. Because Mandaloon wins. And no, there is no replay. Um, unfortunately, uh, fairgrounds races aren't on YouTube. Uh, at least not that I could find. The race itself is on YouTube, but I'm not going to start pulling it from or showing it from something that's not an official track feed. I'm not even going to bother going down into that rabbit hole. So I'm going to play it safe, show you a chart. Mandaloon wins the race, and I thought he won very, very impressively. Now, I suppose you can look at this one of two ways and say it was the exact same race we saw in the LeCompte in that the top three finishers were the three finishers that were made up your trifecta just a few weeks back. You just reversed the order effectively. But there's a part of me, though, that looks at that and says, that's a good thing. Because there is... You want some sort of confirmation to what you're seeing. Yes, you want to be able to go against the grain, find value, this, that, and the other thing. But you also want to be able to see something, say, you know what, I think... I think there is something there. I think my opinion is valid, and you need to find a way to validate that. Either confirm or deny. So at the time, and also keeping in mind it was the first race that I had gone through this sort of exercise with, grading out the derby preps on a scale of one to 10, I gave the Lecompte five, but I said, you know what, I, th- I think they're all decent enough. Proxy, I think, is still a little bit green. Midnight Bourbon, I think, is underrated and underappreciated. He's not a brilliant horse, but he's gutsy. He's going to keep running. And Mandaloon, you know, I was disappointed. Well, the Blinkers go on, and it's an entirely different story. Because as opposed to, I don't want to say hanging his chance the way that he did four weeks ago... When Florent Giroux asked the horse to pick it up, he did so, and did so relatively quickly. And then you couple that with his ability to stay and finish. And that's when you start to look at it and say, okay, not only has the horse sort of turned the corner... But he turned the tables on the two horses who finished ahead of him, and all three of those horses finished a country mile in front of the rest of the field. This is two races in a row that these three horses have been the class. Now, Devil's Advocate would say they've defeated not the exact same field, but many sort of similar types of runners. So how good are they really? What happens when they take on better horses? Someone who is going to fall on my side of the argument is going to say, these horses continue to improve, they're getting faster, and they're finishing their races. This is something that you don't, I don't want to say you don't typically see at the fairgrounds, but I feel like early on with these early three-year-olds, that long stretch can be the absolute sort of end-all be-all for many of these types. It can really kind of break their soul a little bit. We've seen so many of those horses, that final eighth of a mile, they pop to their left lead, or the final 16th, and they're just flailing. They're saying, where's the wire? Where's the wire? That is not the case with any of these three horses. Mandaloon finished very well. Proxy, if you're just going based on the final eighth of a mile, actually finished faster than Mandaloon did. And Midnight Bourbon, while he wasn't finishing as fast as the top two, it's not as though he was coming to a crawl. He was still staying on. I, there's a part of me that is very, very quickly turning twofold, thinking that, yes, it's the middle of February. We still have two and a half months till the first Saturday in May, but I have a, a sneaking suspicion health being the, the, the most critical aspect of this whole thing. I have a sneaking suspicion these are good horses and not just not just good that the, these could be very very good horses from a speed figure standpoint not only did they all improve but they improved in that fashion that I I just I continue to beat that drum they're not jumping up 15 20 points at a time jumping up six, seven, eight, nine points at a time, which to me means you've got that nice foundation and you're taking those slow incremental steps forward. When the goal is not to win here and now, the goal is to win the first Saturday in May for all of these connections. And then when you take a look and see the trainers and the actual ownership groups involved with these horses, I mean, you're thinking bigger and better. You have Mandaloon, Judmont, Brad Cox. You have Proxy. Mike Stidham, Godolphin. You have Midnight Bourbon, Steve Asmussen, Winchell Thoroughbreds. I mean, the, these are these are major, major players. And for them to have horses at this point in their career running the way that they are at the fairgrounds at a mile and an eighth with a very, very long stretch, one of the longest in the United States, might actually be the longest. I don't know if Los Al has eclipsed it or not. For them to be finishing the way that they are I I can't help but think there's something here. Now, from a buyer's standpoint, Mandaloon wins with a 98 buyer. Proxy in 97, Midnight Bourbon in 96. Timeform US had the race slightly slower. Had Mandaloon with a raw 112, which if you're looking at the 20-point sort of differential, you're looking at more like a 92 as opposed to a 98. A, A sizable difference. But even having said that, let's say it is closer to a 92. That's still very, very legit for this time of year. And would fit squarely in the mold of an incremental improvement from the 89 buyer two starts back. Or his most recent start prior to this one. But not quite the nine point jump that we, that the buyers have have sort of assigned to the horse. I'm, I'm more inclined to look at the buyers and say... I think they're more on to the, I don't want to say the more accurate piece, but because I don't, you know, we're splitting hairs between five and six points, and this time of the year the track was also a little bit funny on Saturday. They had just a a heaping helping of rain the day before, the few days before, and it was drying out throughout on Saturday. So maybe there are going to be some tweaks to that when it's all said and done, but I look at these top three specifically, and there'll be one other horse I'll get to in a little bit in this race. I, I can't help but think there is some serious potential for horses to make noise as three year olds here in 21, specifically Mandaloon. Now, I did not love him coming out of the Lecompt. You can go back and listen to that pod. That was only a few weeks ago. It was probably what, four episodes back. I didn't. For the hype that he carried into the race, I didn't think he delivered, and I thought he was good. I thought he I, I picked him in that race in the Comte. but I didn't think he delivered and it's it's a handicapping piece that I would strongly encourage those of you who have never really looked at this sort of thing to factor in. I am not a workout expert. I don't i you know I, I think I can tell the difference between a good workout and a bad workout when you see the tape of it. But if you're someone who doesn't really care about what they look like or anything like that, and you look at the times, times and workouts are, you know, it's very subjective sort of thing. Some trainers work their horses fast. Some of them work them slow. Um, You know, uh, how does the horse go in that workout? There's so many different aspects to it that just the time and, you know, where they ranked in the, the 50 horses that worked a half mile the other day, it's, it's very difficult to really make heads or tails of that just based on the number. The one thing, though, that I've had success with in the past, and I would encourage you to at least explore it as a possibility, is finding a horse like Mandaloon, who throughout all of his workouts was what I would call an inoffensive workhorse. He, he never did anything that looked on paper to be you know just horrifically slow. But coming out of the LeCompte, there appeared to be a, a decided difference in his workouts from a time standpoint. And you see going into the Risen Star, he has an equipment change. Blinkers go on. I'm, there's no, there's no way to know unless you are there on the grounds or you read some sort of a, a story in the the racing form or the Blood Horse or any of these other publications. But I'm going to make the educated guess that those two workouts Coming out of the Lecompte, came with the blinkers on, and when you see a a noticeable difference in time following a what you are sort of hypothesizing comes with an equipment change, that can indicate a forward move, that can indicate a pretty big difference, and it doesn't have to be blinkers on; it could be blinkers off. But I've had success with it in the past, and and I did a podcast, uh, trust the profits, last week. On uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night, something like that. And I said that when you see that sort of move, it wouldn't surprise me if Mandaloon did take that step forward on Saturday. I was so disappointed with the LeCompte effort. Wouldn't surprise me if this is sort of a harbinger of things to come. The blinkers go on. He has that tactical speed. When Flo hits the button, he goes. I think Mandaloon, I, I don't know that I've ever done a 180 this quickly on a horse at this time of year. Going from really not being thrilled with him to looking at him, given the connections, given everything about the way that the horse moves and runs and his progression, the way that he has moved. He's run four times. He's gone from 75 to 82 to 89 to 98. He's done it at Keeneland, Churchill, and the fairgrounds. You don't have to worry about a wet track. He's won on a wet track in the past. He's overcome trouble. He's overcome ground loss. I've done a very, very about face. I don't even know if that's the correct, if that's good English. I've done a 180 on this horse. So much so that by the time you all listen to this, it'll have come and gone. I only posted it for one hour on Twitter. I said, I've I've had success for those of you that that may not know this. um, I've had success in the past with future bets for the Kentucky Derby. Um, last year happened to be for the Kentucky Oaks, where, you know, a, a handful of months in advance, you find you see something that visually ticks the boxes, the pedigree ticks the boxes, you know, a, a number of reasons. You, you come to a conclusion, you make a play, it either works or it doesn't work. But typically, I would make my future bets very, very early, either at the end of the two-year-old year or the very, very beginning of the three-year-old year. And I always maintain... You know, with the Derby future, you need to be realistic about a couple of things. I mean, if you're going to even be in the starting gate the first Saturday in May, barring being a heavy, heavy favorite, you're probably still looking at 8, nine, ten to 1, even on these sort of second-tier contenders. You know, is getting the 25 or 30 to 1 in the middle of February worth it, knowing that you still have two and a half months to go, and on the day of the race— Sure, you're only going to get half or, or a third of the price that you would have had. Is it worth it to just wait it out, save your money, and say, you know what, okay, rather than play, I'm making it up, 50 to win on the horse in a future at 30 to 1, uh, let me play 100 on him to win day of the race at 15 to 1. But I may be changing my tune for this instance, because I thought for certain A horse like Mandaloon would be a very, very um, heavily backed runner. Let's put it that way. And he is. He's a heavily backed runner. But not nearly as much as I had thought he would be. I figured he'd be in that 12 to 15 to 1 range. He's 25 to 1 in a number of different markets. And when I see that, I think, okay, this is a horse who is for all intents and purposes, in the starting gate, he earned 50 points here for the win. He got a few other points for his third place finish last month. He just needs to stay healthy and he has a, a spot in the starting gate. So he has one of the 20. Okay. So there's your sort of, if you just want to go at it and say there's 5%. He has made up 5% of the gate already, assuming he gets there. From a speed figure standpoint, he is already one of the fastest three-year-olds that you have. He is the fastest three-year-old thus far at nine furlongs. He is trained by the champion Eclipse award-winning trainer Brad Cox. He's ridden by Florent Giroux, who has won basically everything there is. I shouldn't say everything, but I mean, Flo has won many, many giant races. Breeders' Cup Classics, Whitney's. Uh, Kentucky Oaks. I mean, you name it. He's he, Breeders' Cup distaffs multiple times over. Okay, so we're just adding to the resume here. This horse projects to run one more time. That would be the Louisiana Derby at a mile and three sixteenths next month. Runs there, win, lose, or draw. You put him away for five or six weeks until the first Saturday in May. Let's just say, hypothetically, he goes and wins the Louisiana Derby and he does so and takes another step forward, let's say he say he gets into the, the 100 range, let's say he cracks a triple-digit buyer before the Kentucky Derby, in all likelihood, outside of the Baffert horses, who else have you seen that you are just absolutely, you know, blown away by? I haven't seen anyone that I look at and say, yes, slam dunk, lock it up monster. I think Life is Good has that sort of feel to him. Uh, You know, Baffert typically has these kind of horses that just, you know, they're just better than everybody else. Wouldn't stun me at all if he was a gate-to-wire winner of the Kentucky Derby with a 105 buyer, as we've seen many of his horses in the past. But it also wouldn't surprise me if you saw this horse in Mandaloon, if this is what he is, and he takes another step forward, I think another angle, second time blinkers, you can get another forward move, and he continues to mature, and he continues to gain that fitness, he's going to have the bottom of all bottoms compared to some of the some of his contemporaries. I mean, the only other horse that's going to have had, you know, in theory, two mile and an eighth starts before the Kentucky Derby would be a horse like uh, risk-taking for Chad Brown, and there's a real scenario, he's going to have three of them he's going to have the foundation. The mile and a quarter won't be the thing that gets a horse like Mandaloon beat. It'll be, is he good enough? And does he have too much to overcome? I see him at, at 25 to one. And I say, if, if all this plays out the way that, let's just say in a, in a perfect world, it plays out. Say he goes and wins the Louisiana Derby. He's not going to be any worse than the, what, the third choice third choice depending on what happens with some of these other runners if for whatever reason life is good doesn't doesn't pan out let's say let's say let's say for whatever reason he ends up getting beaten whatever his next start is say it's the san felipe i have no idea i'm just speculating say he loses there and baffert takes him off the trail and says Ah, hey, you know what we'll we'll give him some time or we'll turn him back or do whatever with him well, now all of a sudden, this you know, a horse like Mandaloon goes from what you were looking at maybe ten to one, to potentially vying for favoritism with a horse like a you know, I'm making it up, a Medina Spring or uh, excuse me, a, a Medina Spirit or whomever else, a Greatest Honor, you know, one of these types. So by no means am I going to sit here and say this is a brilliant bet for anybody to be making, uh, but I'm I'm going to be betting Mandaloon to win the Kentucky Derby in the middle of February. The poll that I put out on Twitter uh, should be just about uh, wrapped up by now. Two minutes left as I'm getting ready to uh, speak this out to you. Roughly, roughly 200 votes, somewhere thereabouts, In in about an hour's worth of time. I said, what's the shortest price you would take on a Derby future at this point? Less than or equal to 20 to 1, uh, between 21 to 1 and 49 to 1, between 50 to 1 and 99 to 1, or greater than or equal to 100 to 1. At this point right now, about 55% said between 21 to 1 and 49 to 1. And so, you know, that's not a small number in in the grand scheme, whatever this poll ends up being, it'll probably be close to 200, give or take a few. So you're looking at just over a hundred people suggesting that, you know what, with two and a half months to go, I'm looking at a horse saying he's got the speed figs, he's got the connections, he's got the running style. I still think there's room for improvement. What else do I need? And he's got enough points already to get in the gate. I'm going to go with Mandaloon. I I, I can't believe how quickly that changed. But I'm I'm going to be betting Mandaloon uh, in, in future pools to win the Kentucky Derby. Now, briefly, before we, we go on, because I've waxed poetic far too long. Uh, Proxy, I still think this horse is very green in figuring things out. John Velasquez had to get into him down the backside a couple times just to kind of keep his interest. He was actually... It looked like he was outpaced there for a bit, but then he did rally on and he actually finished faster than anyone else. He got his final eighth of a mile in this race in 1276 compared to the 1289 of Mandaloons and the 1282 of another horse we'll chat about momentarily. I, I do think there is something here with Proxy. He still feels very much like an incomplete project. He's another one I wouldn't be opposed to seeing what a little equipment change would do. He also still needs to prove that he can win without the lead. I I don't believe that he necessarily can't. But to date, his wins have both come in gate-to-wire fashion. And while he is making up ground, he's made up ground in the other three starts. They all resulted in second-place finishes. So I'd like to see maybe a little equipment change. Something along those lines. This is definitely a talented racehorse, and I'm not gonna argue with anyone that says they love his upside going forward. And Midnight Bourbon, I said it before, I'll say it again. I I like he's very likable. I think he's a good horse. I don't think he is sexy, I think he is a grinder, and he's just gonna sort of give you what he's got. I do wonder if as, as the water gets deeper, does a horse like Midnight Bourbon perhaps gets slightly exposed as being sort of the the B string as opposed to the A string. And I guess when I'm splitting those hairs, I'm thinking a horse who is going to be one who is primed to hit the board, third or fourth place finisher in some of the biggest races could win a grade two or grade three. But when push comes to shove, he's going to be slightly wanting compared to the horses who could potentially end up being the real stars as three year olds. It's too early to really tell. He continues to improve from a number standpoint, but I I do get that little nagging nagging feeling in the back of my mind that maybe he's going to start to get exposed a little bit. And when I say exposed, not that he's a bum, just that he's that maybe he's not the cream of the crop as far as these three year olds are concerned. Only other horse I want to quickly touch on is Señor Buscador who took a boatload of money in this spot down to five to two second choice. He was, he showed no speed whatsoever early on, but he did roll home. And when you take a look at the final eighth of a mile in 1282, and then the quarter prior to that in 24 and one, you know, he really did put in a nice effort and you would assume you're going to get a forward move off this race. My concern is in all of his races, he has shown no speed whatsoever. And, and that, I don't know that you're all of a sudden going to be able to train and put speed into a horse like this this late in the game if we're thinking first Saturday in May. Um, if, if, let's say, he gets to the Kentucky Derby or some of these other big spots, there's a part of me that wonders if he's that, that horse that you key in fourth and is because he's going to finish. Just something to think about with a horse like this I think he's good I do wonder a little bit about boy you, you're gonna have a lot of work to do not only from a pace standpoint but then you're gonna have to work out some sort of a trip from the back of the pack reminds me a little bit and, and not just because uh, Luis Quinones was uh riding but a number of years ago, I selected uh, sudden breaking news to win the Kentucky Derby. I believe he finished fourth at thirty to one or whatever it was. But th- that's that's the danger of, of a horse like that rallying from off of it. You need some pace, and you're going to have to work out some sort of a trip. Uh, that would be my concern with Senor Buscador. Certainly a talented runner, though. So long-winded, very long-winded way of saying what do I think? Well, I've gone back and retroactively upgraded to Le Comte. the Lecompte The Lecompte I initially had awarded a five on the prep rating scale, between 1 and 10. I've now moved it to a 7. And this race here, the Grade 2 Risen Star, I've given an 8 out of 10. Maybe that's overzealous, but these top three horses, I'm going to be very surprised if two of them aren't in, if not all three of them, in the starting gate the first Saturday of May. And I think, I think there's a reasonable chance that they all would warrant consideration to at the very least get involved in the exotics and you could twist a case for them to possibly be considered win contenders the first saturday in may at churchill downs uh very taken by the performance from mandaloon and i think he's going to only continue to get better for brad cox and company he gets the job done with a 98 buyer in the grade two risen star and he has his starting spot in the kentucky derby secured so hopefully he stays healthy now Let's pivot to a race that we'll find out if it really ends up being proper derby sort of. I don't even know what you want to say. If it actually has ramifications on the Kentucky Derby. But let's talk about the El Camino Rail Derby from Golden Gate Fields. El Camino Real Derby up at Golden Gate Fields. You know, elephant in the room. You're dealing with the synthetic surface. How is that going to translate when we're talking about horses trying to qualify for the Kentucky Derby? Uh, the favorite was Ron Bauer on the far outside. Those of you who have followed me for a while know that I, I'm fond of this horse. I think he's I think he's pretty good. Um, I actually picked him in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile as a bit of a, a flyer, as a bit of a long shot. I didn't think he ran terribly there, ran a little bit spotty, but you know, the the biggest problem a horse like this is going to have. Look, he goes out for top flight connections, uh, Michael McCarthy is the trainer. He just has no speed. And in races like this, you know, mile and an eighth, synthetic or grass, it's not going to it's not going to be the end of the world because he's going to have that late kick and and this is sort of this running style is conducive to success on these sort of surfaces. It is not on dirt. Now, we've seen in the past horses who are turf runners or, or synth runners do well at Churchill Downs uh, for whatever reason. And I apologize to anybody who is curious about thoughts about anything else that goes on in this race. I thought the Philly Javanika ran really well. Um, but other than that, I really don't have a great deal to say about the race itself. This is going to be specifically about Ron Bauer. He just doesn't have the sort of natural early foot I don't believe anyway, to get involved early enough to have a chance to win a race like the Derby. He would need an absolute complete pace meltdown, or he would need it to be one of those things where no one else could see out the distance and he can, and everyone will just come to a complete crawl and he'll still be just picking them up down the lane. That doesn't seem to be a likely scenario. You can see him tipping out. He's about five paths in the pink silks right now with the white hat. He's going to come with a really big run down the lane. Incrementally, you take a look at it, his final eighth of a mile. Everybody else, second fastest was Javanika's at 13.11. Uh, Ron Bauer came home in 12.64. You know, I, I would imagine you go on to a race like the Jeff Ruby Stakes at Turfway Park, uh, which happens to be a 100-point prep for the Kentucky Derby. So uh, the winner and the runner-up from that race the Jeff Ruby stakes will have a spot in the Kentucky Derby. Um, this race itself, you know, great. You get, you get the 10 points, you're on the board. Um, I think he's a good little horse. I, I don't know if, if the dirt is going to be his, if the surface that he has his most success on, despite the fact that I think he might be best on it simply because again, that running style, boy, it's going to be so difficult. It's, it's the same sort of thing I mentioned about Senor Buscador when talking about the risen Star. You, you can be a very talented racehorse, but if you don't have any kind of gas early on, I, I just, you, you need so many things to go your way. Now, it's also worth noting that, uh, I believe anyway, and I'm looking through the conditions and it mentions it, and I assume this is how it will remain, the winner automatically has a spot in the gate for the Preakness. This is a Stronic track, obviously, Pimlico, Stronic track. So... With a horse like Ron Bauer, maybe, I mean, if they, you know, if, if if you win a race like the Jeff Ruby Stakes, assuming that's where they go, you know, you're you're going to go to the Derby. I mean, most connections, most people involved, if you got a horse that's got a shot, let's take like a chance. Why not? It's a lottery ticket. How often can you say you had a horse run in the Kentucky Derby? Or do they go the route of this next start? Let's find out what we actually have as far as dirt goes. Let's run in, I'm thinking, you know, timing-wise, I don't know what it would be. San Felipe is probably going to be a quick turnaround here. But let's run in a dirt race. See what we've got. If he can handle it, great. We know we've got the Derby. We know we've got the Preakness. And if for whatever reason it goes sideways, we can run him in the American turf on the Derby undercard. Or we can run him, we can get ready for a race like the Belmont Derby at the beginning of July. You know, something like that. But I, I think the talent is there. I just, I'm not I'm not sure how that running style is going to translate to the main track against the best of his generation. I think he's a good little horse. He goes out for a good trainer. Um, 84 buyer, fine starting off point for his first start as a three-year-old. Um, has plateaued a little bit. I mean, each of the past three starts, 82, 85, 84. But starting off point to shake the rust off, I think an 84 is very, very solid. And I'll be very curious to see what we get going forward. I I, I would be... Thrilled to see a run on dirt just to see what he can do. Uh, but I I also wouldn't fault anyone that said, you know what, let's go to Turfway Park. Let's collect some points and let's just punch our ticket to the starting gate for the first Saturday in May beneath the Twin Spires at Churchill Downs. Uh, Ron Bauer gets the job done in the El Camino Rail Derby with an 84 buyer speed figure. Let's wrap things up with a little bit of a, an update on the $500 challenge and we will be all done. Let's wrap up episode 53. I apologize if it's been a little bit disjointed. I feel like all the thoughts are there. I don't know how succinct they have been, but hopefully you've gained something from this. And by the way, uh, prep rating for the El Camino Real Derby, a three, three out of 10 uh for the reasons i stated before uh let me know your thoughts though beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernie or underscore matt if you agree disagree with any of the thoughts about the run at golden gate the run down at the fairgrounds any of the horses involved have i glossed over someone am i too hot and heavy from Mandaloon all of a sudden, let me know. Again, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. We'll button up episode 53 here though with the $500 challenge. We have now eclipsed 500 push through as far as churn goes. 502 has been put through. We're at 15%. The average odds 5.81 to one. So if you wanted to look at it and say six to one odds, roughly 15% strike rate, we're pretty, pretty close. You know, the the numbers kind of jive there. Unfortunately, the return just hasn't been great. Um, And again, a lot of it just started with that that slow out of the gates piece, just because whenever you get into that kind of a hole, it's that much more difficult to dig out of. But point being, only 48% in the money, which is definitely not great. Uh, $253.50 is what the bankroll looks like right now. So we've sort of leveled off, which is nice. It's good to have some sort of stable footing. But it's also the... The double-edged sword of this whole challenge is that when the bankroll diminishes, it makes it that much more difficult to get to that $10,000 churn simply because you're not betting as much individually each play because we're only going with 3% or whatever the bankroll is at any given time. So it is what it is. As I've said before, this is nothing more than a fun exercise. There's no time frame for this thing. We're just going to keep going along uh, until we either succeed or we fail. But so far, so good. It's been a good, good little run here and... Uh, Hopefully this week, things will continue. Hopefully the weather will improve. Many areas of the country, there's rain down in Florida. Uh, you know, we've seen the, the the cold and snow going through Arkansas. I have cold and snow here, but it, I, you expect that in my, my neck of the woods. So uh, we'll see what happens going forward for the rest of the week. Thoughts, comments, concerns with any of this and anything else? I'm always all ears to different ideas and things like that. Uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many ways for the audio only. You've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, com, a, a number of spots for this thing. Uh, and if you are interested in the YouTube video, search bar, Matt Bernier Show, this episode along with the 52 prior. Until next Monday we are back with episode 54, this has been episode 53 of the Matt Bernier Show. Good luck this week, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.